One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind, where we'll be reviewing some of the forgotten and some unforgettable moments to have ever taken place in the ring. I'm Simon Maguire, and on this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by boxing writer for the Irish Sun, Kevin Byrne, and by former four-weight Irish champion, Jim Rock. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Simon, cheers. This week's show, it's Kevin's choice. Kevin, what have you got for us? So this week for our opening episode, we're looking to shed some light on, on something that maybe doesn't get talked about as much anymore, but we're going to discuss uh, the pro career of Michael Carruth and more specifically uh, his fi- his last stand. Uh, it was it was April 2000. Um, Chris Bird claims the WBO heavyweight title when uh, Vitaly Klitschko injures his shoulder on the f- in Berlin. Vitaly's up on the scorecards. You've got Papillon winning the Grand National, trained by Ted Walsh and ridden by his son Ruby. Golfer Vijay Singh wins the Masters by three strokes. In football, United... Of course, are on top. Uh, manager of the month is Alex Ferguson. Thierry Henrido gets player player of the month. But uh, it's it's Michael Carruth we want to focus on today. It's uh, like I say, it's April two thousand. He's been a professional, made his debuts in nineteen ninety four after winning Olympic gold in, back in nineteen ninety two. And Jim, who we're delighted to be joined on the call with, Jim, you fought as chief support in this fight in York Hall in London. Yeah, I fought against um, Alan Gray for the Irish light middleweight. Um, so it was the same weight division. Um, so it was a poignant enough fight. And I was hoping that, you know, somewhere down the road that I would get um, a crack at either of the winners, whether it be mm. Michael or whether it was Adrian Stone. Yeah, I, I see your fight was refereed by the legendary Freddie Teat and Freddie Teat links Michael is linked to Michael Carruth because Freddie Teat of course should have been Ireland's first boxing gold medal winner when he was robbed in the 1956 Olympics and had to take had to be content with silver all those years later in 1992 Michael Carruth wins the gold medal and he's set up for what seems to be a sterling professional career but in the year 2000 there's a lot of water under the bridge since then. What what what's happened in in your estimation to Michael Carruth's career since? Yeah, well, like I, I think if you look back, like I think he he turned professional in 1994. He had six fights in 1994, 1995, five fights. So very good start, very good positive start. Eleven fights, um, 
And then you see a bit of a decline. Like he only had one fight in 96. He only had one fight in 1998. Then in 1999, he had three fights and uh, built up a bit of momentum again. And then fights Adrian Stone in 2000. And I mean, like, I think like he started off very promising and he was obviously getting plenty of fights and plenty of activity. Um, He's obviously fighting on builds likes of Steve Collins and so on and so forth. But um, it just it didn't seem to have panned out the way that you would expect uh, for an Olympic gold medalist, his career to, you know, it didn't seem to be getting the sort of backup that you would have expected or that you see happening with modern day Olympians. Yeah, because if you look back at the mid 90s, it's it's in some ways it's actually a very exciting time for Irish boxing. You've got world champions. You've got Steve Collins, a two way world champion. You've got Deirdre Gogarty in the States is a world champion. Wayne McCullough becomes one of the best known fighters in the world. He's he's Michael Cruz, 1992, uh, 1992 teammate, wins a world title at bantamweight and has some absolutely tremendous world title fights at super bantamweight and also challenges at featherweight. You've got Eamon Loughran in the north, who's uh, who's the holder of a WBO welterweight title. You're in the mix. You're having a lot of fights there on these on these big bills. Is, is it an exciting time to be involved in? Oh, it's a great time to be involved in boxing. Um, there was some there were some good builds on, but of course, you know, a lot of these builds, if you look at them, they were they were promoted by different promoters. And I mean, if you weren't with a promoter, you didn't fight on that bill, and you couldn't fight on the bill. I mean, I remember yeah. when uh, Wayne McCullough was fighting in the Point Table, and I was asked to fight on the bill because it was a big ticket seller. I went to my manager in the north and I said, "Listen, I said, thirteenth of August." They want me to fight on Wayne McCullough's bill, and I was just told, "Nope, you're fighting on the fourth of September in the Ulster Hall." And I said, "Yeah, but like this is a bigger fight." I said, "Like it's it's in the Point Depot." I said, "It's it's in my hometown." They said, "You're fighting in the Ulster Hall." He said, "You fight on his show. You won't be on any more of these shows." I said, "All right, fair enough." <laughs> That's it. so. I mean, like you just had to tell the line. And um, again, it's politics and boxing. It's always been there. Um. But like there was some very good, there was some very good bills at the time, and there was some very very good champions. Yeah, and and obviously Michael Cruz gets opportunities on some of these. He he shadows Michael uh, some of Steve Collins' fights. He's you know chief support uh, against I think it's Cornelius Carr, Neville Brown. He he's getting opportunities, but at this stage, late nineties, maybe his best days are already behind him. Michael Cruz obviously is an Olympian in nineteen eighty eight as well. I think, is he 25 at the 1992 Olympics? So maybe he's just getting to that stage where his his greatest form, and obviously 1992 was an unforgettable an unforgettable fight or an unforgettable Olympics for Ireland and his performance against the Cuban is immaculate. But is that has he kind of reached his peak at this era, 1992 to maybe 1995? Yeah, I don't know if it's that he's, he's reached his peak um, because obviously he would have been only 28 years of age then. So I don't mm. think you would, I think you would go like at, at welterweight, which is he was at, I would say you go on to comfortably till about 32 years of age. Um, but obviously I suppose like there's no, there's no shelf life for anyone in particular. I think some, some people, I don't know whether it's your DNA makeup or nothing like that, but some people can last longer than other people do. And some people don't, don't reach that plateau or don't, you know, they don't go over the top until they get to a certain age, whereas other people uh, come to that end quicker. So I don't know whether whether Michael sort of, maybe he trained 
a lot harder than others, or maybe his genetic makeup meant that he had reached his he had reached his his, his high at a certain time. But I mean, like Michael was, let's say, a light welterweight, and then he was a, a welterweight when he won the Olympic gold medal. And like the this fight that we're talking about here today, the Adrian Stone fight, was the fight at eleven stone, which was that light middleweight, and Michael couldn't make the weight. Mm. You know, so like that means, like, I mean, like, he's not out to get any taller, you know. So, I mean, he was able to make welterweight, and he's obviously able to make light welterweight as a as an amateur. But, I mean, you know, you sort of have to ask yourself, like, was he sort of losing the sort of love for the game that, you know, that he didn't make the weight? Yeah, he missed a big opportunity. Um, was it a couple of minutes, a couple of months before Kev when he was supposed to fight, uh, possibly a world title eliminator? Is that right? He was supposed to fight a WBC title fight against Javier Castillejo, a Spanish, a Spanish boxer. So he's preparing for that fight in Jersey at that famous training camp. Jim, I don't know if you were part of that ever at any stage I in was, Jersey. No, I was meant to be, but uh, Collins asked me to go over it a couple of times, believe it or not. But I was training in Belfast, so like we were sort of in our gym up there. We were training the at the time. Yeah. yeah. And like, we were like, more or less, I was sort of told like, why would you want to go there when uh, you have the best of Spartan here? Which was yeah. very true. You know what I mean? And, um, but I was meant to be on that bill in Madrid. Yeah. Uh, uh, Karut against, uh, Karut against Casilio. So, yeah. So, the fight, the fight doesn't, the fight doesn't happen. And uh, a year later, Casilio goes and fights Oscar De La Hoya and a different uh, 1992 Olympic gold medalist. So you're looking at the, the rewards that are possibly out there for Michael Carruth if he wins that fight. Um, but it doesn't happen. And he says afterwards in interviews that that fight falling through, just saw him fall out of love for, for the game quite spectacularly, quite quickly. Uh, I think it's an interview with Paul Kimmage. He uh, does, he says, at that stage he'd lost a love of it. His metabolism, for, unfortunately, was was worse than others. Uh, it just broke. He said it, having that fight cancelled broke his heart. He stopped training. He went into this fight against Adrian Stone in lackluster mood, uh, in lackluster, lackluster mode. And uh, so here they are. They're going into the fight. Stone is a decent operator, isn't he, Jim? Like he's, his previous fight is a win over uh, Michael Corleone. So he's, you know, he's beaten the godfather. Uh, but he's also fought Ray Robinson earlier in his career. Not not quite the real one. But uh, he's he's mixed it with Vernon Forrest. And after fighting against Michael Crute, he goes in against uh, Shane, Sugar Shane Mosley, Sergio Martinez. Stopped by them. But you know he's he's getting it there against these top operators, and an unmotivated Michael Carruth at your call. What are your re- recollections of the night? He doesn't make the weight anyway at the start. He's eleven stone. It's eleven stone even is the weight limit. So Carruth yeah. come in, I think eleven stone two and a half. I yeah. actually come in, I think at eleven stone eleven and a half. So I come in two and a half pound under the weight. Now, like, like I am probably, I think I'm about four inches taller than Michael. You know what I mean? And mm. I'm by far a bigger made fella. Stature wise, you know what I mean? Like yeah. size wise. Now, for me to weigh two and a half pounds under, you know, like, I mean, like, I don't see any reason why Michael couldn't have made the weight except for he didn't have the motivation. He just didn't have that drive. Because when you, when you weigh in, you're given the option to go off for an hour to, uh, to take off the excess weight, mm. Michael didn't even didn't even try to take off the weight. Yeah, 
he didn't even he didn't even he, he just said no I'm not he didn't try you know and I remember on the day now again I was sort of a few years I don't know what I am about five years younger than Michael but I was because Mike the fight was still going ahead and Michael was going to uh, even if he won he wasn't getting the title you know like I mean like what motivation is to go into a fight for a world title and knowing that even if you win that fight, you're not going to get the belt. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Yeah, I can't I can't see there being much. Maybe the fact that it's live on Sky Sports. But um, yeah, if, if you've struggled to make the weight and you've had to lose a lot of weight in a couple of weeks as well and it's been difficult, then I can see why a fighter is not going to be massively motivated. Also, the fact that maybe the last couple of years hadn't really gone as planned. So you fight on the undercard, Jim. Do you get do you get a quick do you get a quick uh, opportunity to warm down, have a shower before you go out and sneak a look at it? How does that work for you? Before, but see, Michael fought before me. Oh um, right, okay. I was I was due to be I was chief support, obviously. So my fight theoretically should have went before his, but we came to the venue late. Because I forget what happened, but whatever happened, we came to the venue late. So when we came to the venue, they they decided that there wasn't enough time. Uh, I, I and, and it was it was their fault. It was me and my team's fault that they said, "Listen, you won't be warmed up in time, so we're going to put you on after the main event." Which was probably it was a bit of a sickener because I would have like if I'd have went in before the main event, I'd have been obviously live on Sky. Sky Sports, whereas then my fight, well, they only showed the highlights of it or something like that. So, um, but I mean, it was, I did go out then while I was warming up. I went there and watched from the balcony and watched Michael's fight, you know, and uh, I just thought that Stone was just, you know, he was just determined and he just looked really in the zone for the fight. And um, Michael, counter puncher but you know 
it didn't look like the Michael Crute that that we all knew was there. Yeah. But did, you know, the, the Michael Crute that we knew didn't show up on the on on the night. You know, hard to watch. Um, kind of the the, the end of an era. Well, like you know, I wouldn't be thinking like that because, like, I'm watching the fight, but realistically, my mind is on my fight coming up after the fight as well. So, like, I'm not getting. I wouldn't be watching it. Let's say or having the same sort of emotions as the spectators do, you know, because, mm. you know, they're, 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 they're nice and calm, they're nice and relaxed. I'm sort of watching it and then I'm sort of getting up off my thing and I'm still trying to keep warm knowing I'm getting in next, you know, and sometimes when you see your, your, your sort of gym mate or your, uh, your, an Ireland mate or something at this stage, but, you know, if they're getting beaten, I mean, like, you don't want to be looking too much into that because you've got no. to be the next. You you have to have sort of a positive mind frame for you getting in. Yeah, I've got a I've got a quote here from uh, Michael after after the fight. He was given the Carl McGinty of the Irish Independent. It's, he says, "Normally, I would have dealt quite easily with a fighter like Stone, just jab and move, jab and move. But tonight, I seemed I seemed able to come. All I seemed able to come up with was a jab. But there was no zip there. I kidded myself for this fight, thinking I could lose the weight, get in there and fight him." A proper Michael Carruth would have beaten him, but the proper Michael Carruth wasn't out there tonight, and I'm to blame for that. He later admitted in an interview with Paul Kimmich that after the difficulty on the scales and in the preparation, uh, his wife, brothers, his dad, nobody wanted him to fight, and they actually begged him not to get in, and he got in because he felt it was a duty. Uh, there was big spats with Frank Maloney in the dressing room afterwards. Did you see any of that? Were you privy to any of that? No, because if that was in the changing room afterwards, that was more than likely while I was in fighting. Yeah, yeah. Because I went in straight after him. Um, so I wouldn't have seen any of that. And I wouldn't have been in the same changing room as Michael Crute anyway. Yeah. Um, because we were from different stables. Um, and and as well as that, like like the main event, he will have a changing room on his own. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I think I had a changing room on my own as well. But it would have been a different one. So I wouldn't have seen any of the, you know, any of his, I, I wouldn't have seen any of his warm up um, I wouldn't have seen any anything like that at all. So I wouldn't have seen anything that happened after the fight either. Jim, do you reckon fighters um, with great careers and memories like Michael Crute had, uh, as of speaking as a fighter yourself, do you reckon people who are winners are maybe more haunted by the couple of losses that they've taken along the way, or do you think after a few years it all ebbs away and you can kind of just remember the good times? Um, I think different fighters um, deal with different things differently. Full stop. You know, and, and and it's in it's it's in fighting, it's in business, it's in marriage. I mean, how many people do you know that have broke up with their marriage and ten years later they're still giving out hell about their ex and so on and so forth? You know what I mean? Whereas there's other people like they'll just go and say, "Oh, listen, you know what happened? We went our different ways." And it, I think it depends on you personally yeah. and how you how you uh, how you deal with it. You know. I mean, like, yeah. you know, I had I had losses and I mean, like I had one or two controversial losses. And I mean, like you can you, you can sort of let them get into your head or you can just say to yourself, listen, you know, look, I got beaten. Big deal. I got a bad decision. Big deal. Come on. You just go on. And you fight again and you, you you can't let it bother you. Cause otherwise, you'll never, ever, ever get on. Uh, I suppose later on, a week or two later, Michael Cruz announces a press conference to uh announces retirement and uh, walks away from professional boxing with a record of 18 and 3. Uh, how would you regard his, would you reckon his his professional 
attempt as professional career was a success or would you think he I don't know if he harbors any regrets about it himself now but um as an Olympic gold medalist how do you think he'll feel about it um I don't think for an Olympic gold medalist that his pro career panned out the way that you would expect it to or the way that most Olympic gold medalists um future careers pan out you know mm. when you look at gold medalists they usually start off you know the top of the bill they're superstars um michael wasn't marketed like that i don't think you know and he was always i suppose he was nearly always on the undercard i mean he may have been chief support but i suppose he was chief support to steve collins and all that so he was on some very very good bills you know and he fought some good fighters too you know um but i think for him personally he probably is a bit disappointed um, the way his pro career panned out. Yeah, and I suppose maybe at the mercy of British um, promoters who mightn't be in the goal of building an Irish kind of attraction because you're talking about maybe coming home in the, after the Olympics 1992, a couple of hundred thousand people out on the street and that for somebody is, is a massive market but a British promoter, a Frank Maloney or Frank Warren, they're not necessarily going to be uh, all about tapping into that on a regular basis as maybe someone like Bernard Dunn when he got that groundswell of popular support a decade later was able to tap into yeah but Bernard Dunn's promoter was an Irishman and this is the difference I mean like it was Brian Peters who promoted Bernard Dunn so it was mm. an Irishman promoting an Irishman um, although you know you can't really give out with the likes of I think he was uh, Michael was under Frank Warren at the time I mean Frank Warren was Steve Collins's promoter. So, I mean, he'd done a fabulous job for Steve Collins. So we can't say that he he was anti-Irish or that he wasn't um, building the Irish for his properly. You know, with Frank Warren, I fought for Frank myself. I mean, it, it's quite simple. You're either knocking fellas out and having good wins or else he drops you. And that's it, yeah. Well, look, that's that's the way it goes. You gotta you gotta take your knockout shots when you you gotta take your knockouts when they're presented to you, and uh, and sometimes you just don't always get a rub of the green either. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.